Last week, Father Jonathan looked at the two ways of the book of Proverbs, the way of wisdom and the way of folly. This week, we are continuing our study in the book of Proverbs by looking at chapters 10 through 30. And the great thing about this large section of scripture is that we are going to get specific. We are getting into the weeds with wisdom. But why get into the weeds at all? Why bother getting so specific? Well, the two ways of living, the way of wisdom and the way of folly, these are really helpful frameworks as we live our lives. But this framework doesn't necessarily instruct us on how to act in particular situations. We need to look at specific examples to get into the weeds. I like to say that Proverbs must be applied to real life. By definition, a proverb is a truism and therefore it is a general statement. It's hard to know how any one particular proverb applies in any situation. In fact, it's often the case that the same proverb may not apply in real life in every situation. Another way of saying this is that proverbial truth adapts to the particulars of our lives. I love what Abraham Maslow, the famous 20th century psychologist, said about hammers. It really illustrates this point. I suppose it's tempting if the only tool you have is a hammer to treat everything as if it were a nail. This proverb from Dr. Maslow is a textbook definition of folly. Indeed, one of the characteristic signs of folly is a rigid and inflexible application of general sayings to every situation. That's not how wisdom works. One helpful way of thinking about this process of applying and adapting wisdom is by looking at our legal system. We live under a system of jurisprudence called common law. That means that our laws are based on precedent. The way you interpret and understand the meaning of any particular law is by looking at how it has been applied in particular cases. The wisdom in the book of Proverbs works in a similar way. Wisdom is adjudicated through our experience. So tonight, we are going to adjudicate wisdom together. We're going to take a common law approach to Proverbs 10 through 30. We are going to look at how Proverbs apply in particular cases. And by adjudicating wisdom through experience, we will better understand the adapted truth of each proverb. And throughout this process, we are going to learn a critical fact about living wisely. Applying wisdom requires virtue. Father Jonathan alluded to the importance of virtue last week, but we are going to get down in the details about virtue. The word virtue comes from the Greek word erate. Arate was used by many Greek philosophers, such as Plato and Aristotle. An arate, or a virtue, is a quality or habit of character that inclines a person to act well and contributes to human flourishing. I asked our cathedral theologian, uh, the Reverend Dr. Jonathan Bales, uh, for his own definition of virtue. This is what he said. From a Christian perspective, virtue is a habit or quality that conforms our thoughts and our actions to the character of Christ. Indeed, virtue is a biblical concept. The Apostle Paul speaks about virtue this way in 2 Peter chapter 1. For this very reason, 
Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So for each one of these case studies tonight, we will try to discover the corresponding virtue necessary to apply this proverb. Okay, enough throat clearing. Let's get into the weeds together. Our first case study is on the use of alcohol. Many of us like to drink a beer or a glass of whiskey now and again, but the book of Proverbs actually has surprising a lot to say about alcohol and how we use it and what it looks like to use it well. Let me give you a few examples. Proverbs chapter 20, wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Proverbs chapter 21, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Proverbs chapter 23, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Proverbs chapter 31, Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. So, lots of different proverbs about the use of alcohol. How should we interpret these proverbs? There's at least two options. One answer is to be a teetotaler, to never drink at all, to read these proverbs as an outright condemnation of any alcoholic beverages. But the opposite and second way to interpret this is to uh, say, hey, drinking is good, we should only drink when life is hard. This is kind of the alcohol abuser approach to proverbs. These are two extremes. And remember, the application of wisdom requires virtue. It requires finding a golden mean between the two extremes. The virtue that I want to commend for you tonight is the virtue of temperance. Temperance is a biblical word. It's a biblical virtue. The Greek word is sophrine. It means moderation or restraint of human desires and appetites. Sophrine, temperance, is used in the pastoral epistles of Paul in both 1 Timothy and the book of Titus. The right approach to alcohol is to have sophrine, temperance, to moderate our approach, to not drink too much and therefore abuse it, but also to not reject it entirely, to see that it is a good gift God has given us when used with temperance, when used with moderation. Let's look at the next case study together, and it is related to the virtue of temperance. It's a temperance of a different kind. Temperance with respect to our use of words. Often when we use words, we use so in very kind ways. Um, but there are some times where we use words in very aggressive ways. So what does Proverbs have to say about how we use our words? Well, like alcohol, it's a major theme throughout this book. The call of wisdom is to be temperate or moderate with the words that we use. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs chapter 11, whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering, revealing secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. From Proverbs chapter 13, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips 
comes to ruin. From Proverbs chapter 15, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And finally, Proverbs chapter 17, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. These are just a few examples of the many Proverbs that talk about how we use our words. And just like our use of alcohol, our words have enormous power. They have power to build up, to bring joy, to encourage, but also power to tear down, to destroy, to hurt our loved ones, our neighbors, and ourselves. We have many options with how we use our words. We could say nothing, or we can say everything that we're feeling. But neither of these is a temperate or moderate approach. The closest book that we have in the New Testament to wisdom literature is the book of James. And the book of James has a lot to say about how we use our words. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. It is really important that we Christians learn how to be temperate with the use of our words, about having the restraint and moderation to know when it's important to speak and to know when we shouldn't speak. Let's move on to our third case study, and this time we're going to look at a different virtue. Case study number three is about lying. Probably one of the most famous stories about lying is the fairy tale and Disney movie Pinocchio where the puppet who wants to be a boy's nose grows with every lie he tells. We live in a culture where it seems to have been become more socially acceptable to lie, and Proverbs has a lot to say about lying and how we use words and tell truth. Let me give you some examples. Proverbs chapter 6. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. Similarly, in Proverbs chapter 12, there was one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. And from Proverbs chapter 17, an evildoer listens to wicked lips, and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. Finally, Proverbs chapter 24, be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he's done to me. I will pay back the man for what he has done. The Proverbs is pretty clear. There is no circumstance where lying is acceptable. To be wise is to be a person who tells truth. To be someone who emulates 
the virtue of truthfulness. We often don't think about truthfulness as a virtue, but it's actually quite important in the Christian tradition. The word truth appears throughout Scripture. It's the Greek word aletheia. It is speech that is sincere and in accord with reality. I love that definition because it explains two aspects of truth that are both important in order to be truthful. If we want to speak truthfully, we must not be deceptive. We cannot act or speak out of ulterior motives, saying one thing and doing another. But secondly, in order to speak truthfully, our words must reflect the world as it actually is, rather than as we want it to be or wish that it was. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. The great 20th century uh, theologian Stanley Hauerwas says this about truthfulness. We often lie because, as prideful beings, we don't want our limits exposed. We fear our foolishness will be laid bare. We create false worlds then that we inhabit, making it impossible to distinguish the real from the false. We're also very good at making our lies seem true. As Christians, we are people who must believe and stand for truth. We believe that the truth became incarnate, the very Word of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And we believe that the truth of the Holy Spirit continues to speak to us, the church, through God's Word written and Holy Scripture. In a world that is filled with lying and liars, we must stand against the ever-present temptation to lie and be people defined by the virtue of truthfulness. Indeed, that is what wisdom looks like. Our fourth and final case study is about anger. And it's particularly important for us today to reflect on anger. We live in an age of outrage, an age defined by anger. So what are we to do when we personally feel anger against other people or when we encounter the anger of others in our own lives? Thankfully, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about anger. Here are just a few examples. Proverbs chapter 15, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. From Proverbs chapter 19, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. And finally, from Proverbs chapter 25, a rather famous, um, if not kind of funny proverb, The north wind brings forth rain, and a backbiting tongue angry looks. It is better to live in the corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. So Proverbs is pretty clear about anger, that there is no place for anger in our lives. How do we respond to anger? How do we act wisely in the face of anger? Well, we need the virtue of patience. Patience is a very biblical word. The word most often uh, used in the New Testament uh, for the word patience is the word macrothumia. It is an emotional calm in the face of provocation. 
Another way of saying it that I love is long-suffering. To be patient is to be long-suffering. This, in fact, in the Old Testament, is one of the characteristic ways that the Lord is described. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So how do we respond when we don't get our way? Or when someone we disagree with uh, speaks poorly to us? Do we disagree with them in anger? Do we disregard them and yell and scream? That's not the Christian way. The Christian way is to practice patience, to listen to the person we disagree with, to respect them as a beloved creature of God. This is a great example of that general principle from earlier in the lesson, that in order to live wisely, in order to apply Proverbs in our life, we need virtue, virtues like patience. And the good news for us is that Jesus is offering us Christians a new way to live. He is offering us his very life, to live a life like his. Jesus' life was a life filled with perfect wisdom and virtue. Indeed, to live a virtuous life is to live a Jesus-shaped life. At the heart of Jesus' virtue and wisdom was love. Love is at the heart of all of the Christian life. And friends, this is what it means to be a witness in our world that is quite foolish. To show others the same kind of gracious and undeserving love that we have been shown in Christ. St. Paul says this very famously in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 13. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Friends, we cannot live a love-shaped life, a life shaped by wisdom and virtue without God's help. That's why Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to live in us, so that we might love God and neighbor by applying wisdom with virtue. I hope you've gotten a better sense this week about what it means and looks like to apply wisdom to our lives. It could be quite difficult it requires us to analyze uh, specific circumstances, to look at case studies. But through the Holy Spirit's power and wisdom and through virtue given to us by Christ, modeled to us by Christ, we can become people who are wise in every circumstance. 